When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Ah, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Ah, how you be? How are you doing? Oh, you know, we're we're into the uh what is it, fifty-third week of two thousand twenty. Right. <laughs> yes, fifty-third, fifty-fourth. Uh, what somebody wrote it's like December thirty-seventh or something. Yes, <laughs> December thirty-seventh. <37th. laughs> 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. It's been interesting uh, the last week, obviously, with um, everything happening at the Capitol building and, you know, the sudden collapse of society. <laughs> <laughs> the sudden and but the, the sudden uh, steady rise of. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Slow and steady collapse. Uh, yeah, and it's so funny, uh, dear listener, we had actually plotted this, uh, series, so today is the first, we're gonna do the Purge film series, we thought that'd be fun for, uh, you know, January, you know, the election year, the inauguration, we thought it would be uh, a good idea to chat about these films, and we didn't realize how prescient that would be, (laughs) so. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, it should be it should be an interesting couple of weeks as we uh, apply what I thought would sort of be a um, kind of a historical analysis of the Purge series is now becoming very 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 uh, current. <laughs> as is with a lot of horror, right? As, as is, yeah. horror is horror as uh, Oracle, <laughs> right? There we go. Um, uh, and first, this, I think, is yeah. the first time that we're doing um, we're doing a full franchise, right? Is yeah, I don't f- think we've actually ever done that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is kind of playing a couple of different roles because obviously we wanted to talk about politics and and sort of this uh, rise in violence and you know, yes, the um, um, what do you call it? the clairvoyance, I guess, of of the purge. Um, you know, but also we're going to be doing a uh, focus in February on, um, particularly on black horror and things discussed in horror noir. And so this also seemed like a really good way to bridge that conversation uh, through the film series um, with the purge, because there's such a focus and conversation on race and uh, economic politics. So mm-hmm. I just thought this, you know, we kind of plotted this out as like this, Oh, this should be a lot of fun. And now it's like, well, <laughs> We'll see how this goes over the next few weeks. Yeah. We may have to pull episodes or pause on them until, you know, depending on what inauguration day looks like. But um, 
for now, that's, that is what we're going to be discussing over the next couple of weeks. So uh, you now have, uh, you've got, um, dear listener, time to watch and get caught up on the Purge series if you haven't watched all of them. But uh, first, Jew, l- l- what's been going on otherwise? How, what are some good things happening to you before we dive into the horror? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, we didn't talk about this last week, but Drag Race is back. <laughs> right? Drag Race is I mean, back. Drag Race original recipe, <laughs> right? Um, right. Uh, drag Race original, original recipe. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Drag Race original co-op, co-opted recipe is back. Um, which is interesting to see because... Um, I haven't done much research in it, but you can tell that they filmed this in the Corona times in the, yeah, in the yeah. pandemic times. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it's, it's produced a very interesting premise. I think we're at a point now where um, I think we're just going to see a lot of stunts, <laughs> stunts, shows and shenanigans. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it is keeping it fresh and new and um and I got to say, you know, shout out to all of the queens who have been um, trying to make it this last year because, you know, this the the drag sort of like ecosystem, the uh, the industrial drag, the drag industrial complex um, <laughs> is um, is kind of predicated on like travel and being in rooms with people and community and, you know, all of these things. And so with our some of our favorite queens it's like they've had to pivot very clear very you know like pivot very quickly to um remote work (laughs) to be remote queens and you know cameo and all that stuff so it's nice to kind of see them back on screen and also it's 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 nice to just have you know something to look forward to again every week yeah, no, I agree. It's um, we watched. I, I think we're on what is it? Two episodes so far. Mm-hmm. I always get annoyed when it gets to like that whole stunt with the pork chop and separating them out, and then it's like you're mm-hmm. voted out. Oh no, you're not really voted out. Now you're just going to be in the other group. I just find that just kind of offensive and wasting time. It's like this this season is going to be thirty episodes long. <laughs> if they, oh yeah, I know. Out. You know, or if they've had to separate them into two separate teams. I don't know. It's just some of it. Uh, I was just a little annoyed at that because I don't like that sort of um, emotional manipulation for really no reason. I mean, if they'd really sent mm-hmm. her home and she really wasn't going to compete, I'm, I don't want to say who she is just in case our, you know, listeners getting caught up if you're a Drag Race fan. Uh, and having True, yes. But I was just like, if they'd actually sent her home, then fine. I'd buy into the thing. Like, sorry, girl. Like, that was the rule out you know like sorry you got fucked uh but at least you got a few minutes on television hopefully you sold yourself uh, enough for people to you know want to follow you on the social media and invest in your drag and your art but instead of it being like instead they were like well, now you're back so it just feels manipulative in a way that wasn't entertaining to me yeah but Anyways, that's just that part. Otherwise, I mean, it was very fun. Again, because the drag race has been on for so long, um, we're now seeing like, you know, this generation of queens raised on drag race and they're coming mm-hmm. super prepared and pretty talented. Uh, they look, you know, amazing and have amazing clothing right from the start. You know, you're not seeing that same you know, kind of mix of high and low. I feel like everybody's coming in and with a pretty good look 
you know? And yeah. I'm, yeah. And those are things that like, again, that's, those are things that money can control. Um, totally. I mean, then a shout out to the late great Chi Chi Devane who, you know, said it right from who said it in her season. It's just like, I am a queen from here. I don't have access in the same way that y'all have access to right. certain things. And, and I think that really kind of blew, I don't want to say blew the lid off of it, but you know, it was kind of like, um, and it was a calling attention to like, you know, what, you know, more established Queens have access, have, you know, connections, the younger Queens, you know, depending on whatever background they come from. And so, so it's going to be interesting to see, um, as you know, these last couple of seasons where you had, like you said, you have the, the crop of Queens raised on drag race or who did drag inspired, you know, right. who, who are doing drag because of drag race to see what happens and to see where still some of the, um, where some of the missteps are occurring, of course, um, or the thing, you know, cause I'm sure we're going to get a, um, I'm sure we're going to get a snatch game where someone's not prepared and it's like, how can you not be prepared? You knew you were going to be on the show. Um, no, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, how it uh, how it lays out. But it's just interesting to see, kind of at the beginning, where it's like everybody's pretty good, you know. It's not like I have a harder time each year picking the ones that I'm immediately like, well, not you, you know. This one I thought overall, like there were some really good good queens, you know, having a good time and doing pretty well. Uh, even the ones that were like, I'm new to performance still did well for being new to performance, you know? So yeah, that's another thing. And I've heard like older Queens, like I was just listening to an ask me anything with Jackie beat at, on Instagram. And she was saying, um, somebody asked her who some underrated Queens are. And she's like, I hate that question. Instead, I would encourage, and I agree with this. I would encourage you to know your drag history. You know, know who Lady Bunny is, know who Coco Peru is, know who Varla Jean Merman is, know who, um, you know, Heclina, Lip Sinka, you know, these, the queens that you saw in movies like Wigstock, which I think you can find on YouTube for free. Mm-hmm. Um, Will we count Alexis in that? Alexis. Alexis Arquette? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because in, in Wigstock, Alexis is at least presenting at that time as a drag Mm -hmm. queen, but I don't know. And Jackie kind of touched on that too. It's like back in the day in the eighties and nineties, trans women and drag queens were very close and they supported each other because they saw that the attacks on them are coming from that same place. Like we've talked about misogyny and homophobia, you know, coming though the, the violence perpetrated is coming from this same demonization (laughs) or dehumanization of, of women. And, uh, the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. <laughs> but just this idea of, you know, a, a, attack on feminine things, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on the idea of femininity, you know? So she, but I don't know. I, I don't know too much about Alexis Arquette's, how she saw herself then. You True. Know? Yes. But regardless, the people who really like were out saying they were drag queens are like, you know, like Jackie B mm-hmm. and like Coco Peru and these sorts of, you know, so so that's kind of what she said about um you know, who like just the under, you know, answering who was underrated. I, I can't remember how we got onto this subject now. <laughs> 
what was the point I was trying to make? Whatever. Who cares? Um, <laughs> just I guess. Well, you were talking about how, like, we were talking about how, like, you know, there's drag queens um, who are, you were talking about underrated queens, and you brought up Jackie Beat. I don't I actually don't know either. I'm just Oh, no, it was the performance part. thing. Okay, that's Yes, yes, so yes, yes. There we go. Talking about, like, who's underrated, and she was like, re- at the end of the day, I just want people who can perform, and who understand the history of drag, and that it's not always about being the prettiest, and, you know, she gets that that's a thing, which I also agree, but I, I kind of tend to side with this idea that I'm not going to pay to see somebody who looks pretty in a club. You know, I'm not going to pay mm-hmm. to see that show. I want to see somebody who sings, who dances, who's who's a comedian, who does, you know, like Coco Peru does these sort of one-woman shows. Jackie Beat, you know, writes parody songs and sings live. Uh, Varla Jean sings live. Uh, Lady Bunny does her DJ thing. She's also a comedian, you know. So there's, like, something more to invest in than just looking pretty. It's not enough. Um, yeah. And so I still think that that is one of the downsides of Drag Race is that people show up there, like you're saying, and they are like, oh, Snatch Game, what the hell am I going to do? Oh, I got to act? This is stupid. I'm a drag queen. I shouldn't have to act. It's like, what is... They're forgetting the Have history. you been watching? <laughs> right. And they're forgetting that, you know, that, the, yes, you have to have a, a, a vocation. You know, you have to, if you're going to be a famous or quote unquote famous, if you're going to be a working drag queen you have to have the queen of notes yeah you can't you know people aren't going to come up and just stare at your makeup (laughs) like that's not yeah and and (laughs) and we're getting to that point and i think this kind of came through aja's first time around is like we're in the age of the look queen because of social media like you can get a following for being a drag queen and you don't really have to go out and do anything right um that we saw this with I mean, they can certainly turn that in, and some of them have. Some of them have become makeup artists, and they're doing makeup for other queens. That certainly is a vocation and a a talent. I mean, Mm -hmm. I get lost watching videos of people doing their makeup because it's really fascinating, especially with drag, because you're – you know, building a new face. Not everybody has that talent. Just like not everybody can paint a painting and it make it really look real. And like, so that is absolutely an art form and has its place within drag. So I don't want to be completely dismissive, but I'm just saying at the end of the day, if you're going to go on drag race and you want to tour the world in a show, have a show, you know, have something to put on and something to do. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Um, all right, so yes, that's our Drag Race Hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, so we, I can't remember we were talking, you and uh, LeJimmykins have a Switch or not? Nintendo Switch? Oh, I thought you meant like a Switch, like a person who is a top and a bottom. Um, no, <laughs> we have, uh, um, we don't have, uh, well, I don't video game. Okay. Um, G-A-Y-M-E. Um, of course. Uh, James does. Um, he, But he does, like, he has, like, real gamer games. Like, he has an Xbox and plays things with, like, a headset and talking to other people occasionally. Mm-hmm. Which but, you can um, do with the Switch. The whole point is it can be both. It's a console and something so, to carry around. I also didn't know that, but, like, I... I really, but like I grew up with like an NES system, so I like I like the very basic games. So I'm like I'm like a Mario. I'm like you know anything with like when the Wii came out, I was really excited because I'm like oh my god, we can do like virtual tennis <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so 
So yeah, so I mean, I I'm not opposed to like eventually getting like a Switch and stuff because I do like playing. Like I like Smash Brothers, I like Mario, I like Mario Party. Um, but yeah, but I'm not like a super like I'm not a first person shooter game person. Right. Um, unless it's House of the Dead in an arcade, and then I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I totally get that. I'm kind of the same. I we did get one. That was part of the you know the holiday. We got one, and um, I've been really enjoying because I'm the same. Like, and it has like a whole because we have like the account or whatever for it, the Switch Online Nintendo Switch Online ca- account, and so you can download these packs uh, as part of the subscription, as part of the membership that have the classic NES games. So that's what I've been oh, doing. Yeah playing like super mario brothers and i'm terrible at it i cannot you know because i panic that's the problem why i've never really been into video games is because i'm holding the controller and i panic and i just start pressing all the buttons <laughs> and so i run into walls and i jump off things and i end up running into the monsters or the things that are you know jump that you're supposed to be killing um you know running into my own you know things and we've been playing mario kart online with friends which is super mm-hmm. fun because we kind of do like a a group conference call and then everybody just, you know, talks shit and, and, you know, plays Mario Kart. And that's actually been really fun, but I'm also terrible at that. I'm always running off the track and I throw oh, a yeah. shell and run into it myself. I'm like, so bad at, I'm so bad at Mario Kart. Um, because it's like, I can't, I, I actually was so bad at Mario Kart as a kid that I was like really worried to like start to learn how to drive. Oh, um, right. <laughs> because like driving games like i i just can't get the hang of it um uh but i do love like one of my favorite things is to play like the mini games in mario party with like a bunch of people yeah we've been thinking about getting mario party everybody keeps saying because it's so funny we're like the last of the little group because you know some of these people but they all they've had Mm -hmm. for a long time and so we're like these nerds on there like want to play mario kart and they're like we're over mario kart can you get mario whatever he's uh what was it party Mario party yeah or get this game instead it's like oh my god we just dropped an insane amount of money buying the console the games we bought some extra controllers and you know uh, an accessories pack of other cool stuff. I actually bought for the um, the Switch. They make the classic NES controller because it's just yes and easier for me uh-huh. to use. <laughs> you know, a little like, rectangle okay. with the red buttons. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, we that's enough right now. So so I can't go buying all these you know sixty dollar games. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So you can after. you can play Mario Party remotely with people. Oh, I okay. That that changes some things <laughs> for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you can get on because we do that with like they're all in their houses and we it's just online. So they create a tournament and we race cars. And I guess it must be the same. I don't know. I don't. I've not played Mario Party with anybody. It's been solely Mario Kart. And that okay. does have okay. an online component where somebody can create like a room basically and we all log into it with a code and and then you just race each other or battle. We did a battle one where you just drive around hitting people with things like bumper cars in a way with weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I'm also terrible at. I'm terrible at all of it, but that's not the point. The point is to have a good time. Yeah, you're having fun and that's great. Yeah, like, yeah. Cause by my, I mean, I play it and by myself, I'm like, wow, I win. I do really good, but it's just me. It's not as fun. You know, I, I'm practicing. Cause I try to practice, you know, to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to learn we're gonna you're gonna get so many like requests to like be added on the switch or whatever <laughs> um have you have you done um that like what's that the game the, the that pandemic game that people love with the islands and oh, like an, you know animal crossing animal crossing yeah oh it does not that does not sound entertaining or fun to me. And okay. after listening to people on the on like my particular chat that we have for like months complaining about it, I'm just like, this game does not sound fun. You know, will somebody come to my island and give me this thing? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I mean, again, if you get something out of it, people, wonderful for you, but it does not sound entertaining to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, people love it, obviously, and they put, it's it sounds like boosted Farmville, and I just don't understand. Yes, it does. Yeah, I just it, it yeah. So it, I'm not as oh uh, god. And I played Farmville, and then after a while, I was like, you know, if I don't care about actual <laughs> like if I'm not an actual farmer, I'm not going to be a virtual farmer. <laughs> I mean, I remember it was all the rage, and of course, you know, you jump on and look at it, and I think I only did like two crops, and then I abandoned it. I just don't have the patience, you know. Yeah. Like, and those yes. sorts of games, and I think in the in the end, a lot of video gaming is about patience. Like I remember um, when friends were really into World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I just spent eight hours running around doing this, 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 and this. You know, just building up something. I'm like, you did spent eight hours doing that in a row. <laughs> it just sounds tedious, you know. And like, yeah. Animal Crossing sounds similar. It's it's tedious, and unless you have a lot of friends or a lot of people that are all helping each other, like real life, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just you know. Well, have I said on this podcast together? That, have I said that I've been doing Pokemon Go? Right, I've I've said that on this show. So I've been. Uh, I, no, I think you have, but maybe not so. So. So Legimikins is like has been playing Pokemon Go from the get, and I did it for like the first like three weeks in 2016. And what I love about it is that like it is um what I've always loved about it from like an in quote unquote intellectual standpoint is the idea that it's a virtual, it's a virtual community that also meets in real life. Because a lot of times with video games, you um, you congregate, you gather, and you do things in the virtual space. Whereas with Pokemon Go, it's the augmented reality space where, like, you actually have, you can't, you actually have to go to the place and do this in order to get something. So right. I've always thought that was really interesting and a way for people to be brought together. That being said, you know, they, I really was like looking for some sort of diversion in, um, in like October, November. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to jump back on my Pokemon go thing. And now like I was at level 15 and I'm at like level 32 because it really is just a, have like very like commitment, but also like low stakes commitment. Like I don't have to, you know, there's the patience aspect of it, but like, you know, Oh, you catch the Pokemon. You don't catch the Pokemon. You do this, you do that. And it's very, very low stakes in my mind, but like I'm also experiencing like now I'm like hooked. So, you know, I thought that first taste and now I'm hooked, but (laughs) yeah, I would definitely not say I'm a hooked. I do like when the stars align and our friends can play, but I'm not necessarily running to play, you know, anything just on my own. I mean, once I had to play a few days just to figure out how to work the controls, but I'm, I don't care if I lose or whatever. And you know, it's, it is just the fun aspect of kind of playing with people. Um, 
you know, and kind of seeing myself like improve playing it, you know, building those motor skills literally with Mario Kart in the, in the game. Um, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's easy to like cards or something where you're kind of, you know, just chatting yeah. and, and playing a, a pretty straightforward, you know, game. So yeah, that's our, um, we're not sponsored by Nintendo, but if they want to give us some money for, um, kind of half acidly selling Nintendo switches. <laughs> I mean, I may honestly, Joshua, I may get a Nintendo switch if only just to play one game of Mario Kart with you. <laughs> I think that would be, I think that would be super hilarious. And if then we'll just have to like, game. You'll win it against me. So don't worry. <laughs> I've, I've played Mario Kart four. <laughs> I have I've played Mario Kart in like an arcade with the full like you know Dave and Buster style system. Oh yeah, and yeah, like yeah. and still not as good. Uh, no, yeah, I <laughs> so. can't do any of it. Uh, but it's again, it's just it's super fun. So it was kind of one of those things we didn't really. I realized on our last episode, kind of talking about the holidays, we didn't really talk about much um, of the holiday of like you know things that we that we had received. Uh, uh yes. What was your favorite thing you received? Compassion? <laughs> yes, compassion is always always uh welcome. Um I I I'm really enjoying the NES. I thought that was a really good um good gift in the end. Um Jeffrey also got me a stack of these uh Ferrero Rocher chocolate. Oh. And they have the dark chocolate ones in them, which I thoroughly enjoy. Oh, uh, antioxidants. Good for you. Um, he, you know, I think I posted on our Instagram account uh, my little gifts because I got a really cool book of bats, a really neat Pennywise statue, a really neat decanter set, which we're going to put absinthe in. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, like I said on Instagram, may everybody feel as understood by the people who love them. Because uh, I got yes. some creepy, uh, weird gifts that I freaking love. <laughs> nice. I am a you? gift card. I'm a gift card queen. Um, I enjoy. And it's like, I always make it a point, like, you know, always make sure you buy at least one, like, you know, trivial thing and not like, because I'm a trivia person, but like, you know, one thing that's not practical, uh, with yeah. your, uh, with your gifts and stuff. But, you know, I did, I did get like, <laughs> my mom gave me a, um, a Pokemon, like not Lego, but like, you know, off brand Lego, like set. It's oh, cool. like over a thousand pieces. And I was like, you know what? I really like, that was what I did. Um, in the days after Christmas was just taking my mind off of screens, putting my phone away and just, and just doing, um, doing that yeah. puzzle. Um, I like Legos. Yeah, it's kind of sit put them together. Exactly. And I was like, you know what? I may start doing more of that um, as a way to just, you know, do something productive that doesn't require me to look at a screen. Um, I could also read too, but, you know, let's be real. (laughs) Um, You did get some. So, yeah, it was was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, are you wearing a Fright School t-shirt right now? I love that. I am wearing a Fright School t-shirt under this. Perfect. We can just plug that as well on our Tee Public. If you look at our link tree, we have some cool mm-hmm. designs. Valentine's Day is coming up. And what better gift for the person you love in your life than an I Heart Fright School shirt? <laughs> yeah, get an I Heart Fright School shirt. Um, uh, give, oh, are you... Points. 
are you caught up on chaos? Are you caught up on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? No, we haven't even started the new season. So okay, the last one was like every bit of True Blood they could siphon off and put into one season. That's what it felt like. It was like we got uh demigods like you know pagan kind of thing very uh maynad you know when marianne was on uh we got things in hell we got stuff going on with heaven we're going back to the nazarene we're going to you know pilate and all this stuff or like it was just ever the loch ness monsters time egg or whatever it was i'm just mm-hmm. like what is happening there is so much going on in this show but we're trying we're gonna start the new season soon and then we will do we'll we'll get caught up on that joe i promise and then okay because i i finished it and i need to talk about it because i just need to talk about it and i remember picking it back up i picked it back up like around halloween and then i realized like oh well i'm just gonna keep going because the new season's coming out soon so Um, yeah, we yeah. just finished the last, the third season a few days ago, or part three, however, you know, they do that. So we're going to start the new one soon, I promise. If part three is True Blood, part four gave me a lot of Buffy vibes. All right. Well, there we a go. A lot of uh, Monster of the Week type thing, so. Okay, cool. Well, we'll see. Uh, we're going to start it soon, so we will definitely talk about that uh, when we do. Um, otherwise, I think, I think that is it. We've managed to, I was like, let's make this quick. And again, we have filled up an, a half hour of, uh, rambling. <laughs> so we are going to take a quick break and we will be back to discuss 2013's The Purge. Also yesterday. No. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. So, yes, welcome to our First in our Purge series, we're going to be covering, um, this is just going to cover the films. I, I do know there's a whole television series, which is also interesting, um, and I did enjoy watching, but we're going to focus just on the first four films. Uh, so today we're going to start with uh, 2013's The Purge, starring Ethan Hawke, uh, Lena, is it Hedy? Hedy? Lena I Hedy. think it's Hedy. Hedy. Uh, Lena Hedy, Adelaide Kane, Max Burkholder. And they are kind of members. It's sort of interesting because Ethan Hawke plays the father character here who sells security systems uh, specifically to um, keep people safe during the purge. And so they're a very wealthy family, obviously, because people have bought lots of these systems. And that does form a crux of one of the um, um, uh, conflicts in the film. Uh, But so they're a wealthy family, the society, you know, they, they don't engage in the purge in the sense that they you know don't go out 
killing people, but they support it. And they're just kind of hunkering down for the night thinking that they're going to be safe. And, uh, you know, as usual, all hell breaks loose. Um, dear Joe, what did you think of watch sitting down and watching the, the purge? Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it gave me, um, it gave me a lot of like quarantine vibes. Ah, Okay. Like the movie yeah. quarantine. Um, I like how it was. A lot of it was in the dark, mm-hmm. and like flashlights and all that stuff. Yeah. And so, um, and also, I was just. It was not what I was expecting. Um, in terms of like, because you know, I mean, more recently seeing trailers for the other three purge films, like it seems like the f- they seems like they went in a completely different direction after the, like this first purge movie. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see it like play out in one family story. Um, but, but yeah, like I really don't, um, I really, I, I enjoyed it and I was thinking like, okay, this is one of those movies that's like not so much horror. Like you could sell this to somebody. Um, I was mainly thinking about like, (laughs) <laughs> would my parents enjoy this? Um, because, you know, they do enjoy like action-y, uh, action-y fare. And I was like, oh, they could enjoy this. I mean, like there's the psychological elements, of course, of like, you know, one night where all crime, including murder is legal. But, um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was also really interesting um, and I enjoyed it, but it was not what I was expecting. Like I was expecting it to be more like what I saw the trailers for the more recent films and not, necessarily this kind of like um a kind of take on the home invasion trope oh yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah that's sort of like there's it's a dystopian sort of conversation home invasion conversation you know yeah there's there's a few different things that they're sort of playing with in it um, what I really like about the first movie is I like being kind of dropped into something where there's not really explanation. You know, you're yep. just dropped in and you're accepting that this is the world that these people occupy. You know, there mm-hmm. isn't a ton of like subtext to what the purge is, how it came about, you know, not really. I mean, you know, there's conversation of the new founding fathers and, um, you know, there, there's hints at it, but that's all explored later. So I really, I, I like that, op, you know, idea. You're just sort of dropped in. Mm-hmm. And I think in the timeline, what I found is um, this film, the, the the Purge, I keep wanting to call it The First Purge, but that's the title of something. So the original Purge, The Purge, yeah. uh, is set uh, um, the fifth year of the national rollout, somewhere around uh, March of 2022. Okay. And so... Be- yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because the, the first Purge, purge is i think 20 is is ideally it's like 2014 um something like that right no Mm -hmm. okay whatever it is anyway because they have like a test before it becomes a national so this is once it's been nationally recognized it's been around for a couple of you know for a few years and people are fully in support of it and then the later films kind of jump another 20 some years in the future or something like that um so yeah, I just think I, I like that plot device, you know, of jumping of dropping us just in to into what is happening, and then um, you know, there's obviously lots of foreshadowing in the first few minutes with the 
tense conversations that um, Lena's mm-hmm. character, Mary. So it's James Sandin, Mary Sandin, and then their kids, Charlie and Zoe. Um, so kind of what I wanted to start talking about with the purge is um, sort of like the concept of it, you know, of the purge and historically uh, we have this idea of like carnivals, you know, like in religion, uh, like religious uh, um, celebrations, you know, where you have those times where all bets are off and like society kind of gets upturned or, you know, before, uh, a time of like withholding, like uh, withholding, like Lent or something. You know, mm-hmm. there's this kind of idea of like Saturnalia, uh, which was this ancient Roman festival, which I think is interesting. Typically held on seventeenth uh, December, which is my birthday of the Julian calendar, calendar, and then later expanded through the uh, December twenty third. So it's interesting at this time of like holidays. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> co opted. Yeah. Right. Um, Festivities of that. Early Christian church, you know, gets the way you convert the pagan. This is how my humanities professor worded it. It's like, well, how do you get someone to, you know, how do you get the people from the old religion to buy into the new religion? Well, like, give them something that was outlawed from, because Saturnalia was outlawed in Rome uh, for a while, but then the Christian church adopted it and basically turned it into Christmas (laughs) and gave them what they um, gave them something that, uh, the other one took away. Yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Very that, uh, <laughs> you know, so kind of this, uh, this idea of having this time where things like gambling are permitted or, you know, the, or that, um, at the time the people who were enslaved were given the same sorts of freedoms, even, you know, reversing the social order and giving opportunities for people to just celebrate without limits and then kind of coming, you know, back to this time of being limited, you know, so these sort of once a year having that complete and utter, you know, and we see that obviously, you know, especially in the fall holidays and the winter holidays, you know, where we suspend work and everybody's kind of free to do, you know, to be with family and to celebrate and merry make. And we all eat to, to excess and we drink to excess and, you know, we celebrate, um, you know, so some of this idea still kind of holds um, space, you know, mm-hmm. um, although we do have several times of the year <laughs> where we, you know, kind of let loose. Um but just as, as the idea of like, you know, um, having celebrations that are like overtly, um, suspending societal rules, being overly sexual, overly violent, uh, you know, that this dates way back. Um, so, and then when I was thinking about like, yeah, like religious purging, you know, carnivals, Saturnalia. Um, I also was thinking about sort of more recently, uh, in like dystopian fiction, how it kind of feeds into the purge things like, um, Shirley Jackson's the lottery. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's sort of like an early, uh, or not like, super early, but you know, fairly early and very controversial when that came out. Cause the idea of like a small town of like good people stoning a woman to death after, you know, making a choice and they do this once a year to cleanse to, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it had, I think in the story, it's like started with like, you know, the crops, you know, make sure the crops grow. So we do this human sacrifice again, a very 
old mm-hmm. uh, human idea of human sacrifice to appease gods, to appease the mm-hmm. crops, to appease, you know, the weather, to whatever, whatever. We can find all sorts of reasons to mm-hmm. murder each yeah. other for the good of everybody. <laughs> exactly. There's two, you just named two movies right there, Wicker Man and... Um, uh, Ready or Not, which was a recent movie, it came out uh, in 2018, I believe. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I just, and it, it, you know, and I think it kind of feeds then into larger concepts of like, you know, we every single day we're told that murder is okay if it protects democracy, if it protects some sort of loose idea of, you know, that that um, sort of a cerebral concept. You know, Mm -hmm. and I like this because the writers, uh, this is like the purge symbolism and representation um, from this uh, hyper real simulation blog. It says that um, the writers of the purge deliberately named the ruling political organization in its universe, the new founding fathers, because one of the founding fathers said something similar. Thomas Jefferson said once that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. And so, you know, this idea that, you know, if you're a if you're a good patriot, if you're a good citizen in the purge, you will allow the purge to happen. You will engage in it. You will, you know, take out your grievances for the year, purge, you know, the anger, purge the hatred, purge this violent side of yourself and live in relative utopian society uh, for you know, the, the remain, the other part of the year. And so in, within the purge, they say that, um, you know, having it for 12 hours, it goes 12 hours each year has led to, um, has led to the United States to be virtually crime free and unemployment rate has dropped to 1%. So again, this idea that now obviously other things kind of play into that, which we'll get into discussing in the later part or the later part of this series, about you know making the wrong connections you know as as we do mm-hmm. all the time you know with as we go along as thing as good citizens voting for war voting for certain things to happen without without the follow through of the full consequences of it of of who it really affects and uh, so I just like the idea of you know being they they're have this these overlords that are like kill people for peace <laughs> which is not too far from our everyday lives. Uh, so again, the purge is extremely topical, uh, always, <laughs> at least for the last, uh, several centuries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which kind of feeds a little bit into, um, my next point, uh, that I found, uh, in discussing within the symbolism of, of the purge is the stranger, so that's uh, the character who is being hunted, and the young son uh, lets him in. Um, Edwin Hodge, I think. Yeah, is that what his? Because um, I the, feel like um, were, yeah, that's the um, the, the actor, actor's name. But they call him. What's funny? This says bloody stranger, but the stranger. And um, I find it. I, I found it interesting because so this. Um, especially in talking about the purge as sort of uh, a conversation about government sanctioned violence um, mm-hmm. in, in, in the real world. So this website I found is called a neighbor's choice. Now I don't highly recommend this website <laughs> um, in the sense that there's a lot, it's, it's overtly very Judeo Christian and it's kind of looking at the purge as like, if these people would get Jesus, 
then they wouldn't, you know, then, then that would save mm-hmm. society. And so I'm always kind of wary. But uh, I thought that it made some really interesting points. Because first of all, like, um, how can enlightened and, su- and secular society adhere to such a barbaric norm? You know, so if we've gotten, if we've, if we've made society better, wouldn't it truly be even better if we didn't murder people every day? Like, mm-hmm. how do we allow, like, you know, how do we allow violence and destruction that we know can be remedied in other ways? But mm-hmm. it kind of continues on. So I thought that was a very good uh thought you know to think about within the terms within within inside the um uh the purge so i also like this because so looking just at the stranger and he's kind of operating as a couple of different symbols here for people um so hold on one second i'm just trying to find exactly where it is uh so to a leftist watching the purge, uh, the this victim may be any non-white person who is, uh, you know, the victim of society's ills for however mm-hmm. you want to define. To the conservative person, the victim may be the serviceman who has sacrificed himself for the nation's freedom, um, and so. But here, the, his veteran status, because there's like a scene, you know, where he's wearing the dog tags and he's... Um, yeah, the dog tags are very prominent. Um, yeah. And I, I could, I was like, okay, we get it. There's, <laughs> let's, you know, there's the symbolism of those dog tags. They're just very prominent the entire time, every time you see him. Yeah, so they say here, his veteran status symbolizes the individual who is utilized as a pawn in the mass sacrificial machine by authorities. The filmmaker's depiction of the black man's uh, failure to instill mercy into the white father is an attempt to paint a racial narrative to the scapegoating mechanism, which I think is, um, they kind of go here uh, a little bit deeper into that. Failure to unite against scapegoats unanimously is the very reason the day of purging exists, both in the movie and in reality. Uh, Current events show us what a desperate and reckless search for scapegoats leads to, namely rioting, looting, and the indiscriminate killing of more innocent people. So I think what where they're kind of going with that is um, politics, society, communication, as we well know, is extremely complicated. And there are not easy answers. There's not easy black and white, bad, good, evil, good, you know. Um, but because we, in order to keep things where they are, like status quo, we have easier answers are kind of put out, you know, so mm-hmm. like this, the purge is saying we're going to kill people once a year to solve society's problems. Don't think about anything bigger than that. Don't think about, especially in the later films, which again, we'll talk about when we get there, how the poor are, uh, and people of color are more affected, you know, and then maybe the, the, there are reasons why the purge is successful that have nothing to do with the purge itself, with, with, or mm-hmm. with the idea of what the purge is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of liked, like I said, which is kind of brought up in the newscast. Like it's kind of brought up in the background of, of the 2013 film of the film we're discussing today. Yes. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, you know, yeah, there are definitely, uh, again, things that are tucked in, you know, that are further explored, I think as it, as it goes on. Um, but I thought that was sort of an interesting kind of thing about talking again about war and about 
you know, military violence and how, you know, we scapegoat, you know, we Mm -hmm. send, you know, you know, this idea of like, you know, poor working class people to a country to kill other poor working class people to uphold this vision of our leaders, you know, and that's kind of like the purge is operating like that here, you know, where you have this, um, you know, the, the streets become a war zone for 12 hours and people kind of hunt each other down and do whatever they want in order to execute this idea that the, that the bourgeois and the, the ruling class have about how society should be run and about how um, we fix society through mm-hmm. more violence mm-hmm. and more bloodshed rather than we could invest that $700 billion or whatever the hell it is, you know, in homelessness and in, uh, you know, healthcare and in other ways to improve. So, you know, the purge is extremely dystopian. It's, it sets itself that these people are now living in a utopian society. And again, that kind of echoes what I was saying um, a little earlier. Um, oh no, I don't think I mentioned yet brave new world in 1984, because they're kind of similar in that society is extremely fucked up, but everybody's kind of either under the impression that things are okay because in Brave New World they're given a drug to suppress everything, or in 1984 where um, the government operates as if it's doing good things, but everything it's like double speak. Everything is the opposite of what it actually. Yeah, uh, it's two sides to the same coin. It's either like complete authoritarianism, or it's like you've you've subdued. Um, you've basically subdued everybody because you're you've you've subdued them with their own pleasure. Like it's yeah. it's you either being restrictive or you're giving them everything. You're unrestrictive. So, but it's two sides of the same coin because it all leads as a form of it's all a form of control. Yeah, absolutely. And so I just think it's um, again. I I thought that was a very interesting point about looking at you know both how the left and the right might read the purge and see it differently, uh, seeing either you know this these this wealthy class hunting this black man down mm-hmm. to purge mm-hmm. and to feel good and and that being state sanctioned violence which again is not fiction <laughs> you know we see that every day with with the police you know the um militarized police cast I, I, you know I, I don't know exactly how to you know because you have like the working class at the bottom, then you have like the watchdogs for the wealthy elites that keep us separated. And so the police play a role in that, the military play a role in that and how the state chooses to exercise that violence, um, you know, affects the working class differently than it does wealthy class. And then even above that, the truly ultra wealthy that are making, you know, that are extremely powerful making, uh, political decisions and influencing, um, society war you know i mean they're the ones investing mm-hmm. in all sides of everything and then they always win <laughs> meanwhile we're out killing each other in the streets uh or because we're starving and we're sick and we're over it um and nobody knows where to put their the real you know it's no it's no um accident that within the purge series the political class the po- the politicians are protected and you can't kill them even though they're the ones in control of making these decisions. And yeah. uh, they're the ones who, again, we'll get to discussing more with election year, what happens when they, uh, you know, as we saw 
with the Capitol, bring it up a little bit with what happened there. What happens when they're actually threatened? You know, mm-hmm. what happens when they have to actually deal with the consequences of their actions? But at least within the the original Purge film, that is not a concern. You know, they've successfully created this uh, situation and people have gone along with it. Something else I thought about, just a really tiny uh, bit of uh, trivia is uh, of symbolism, is the the flower that's in it. So it's the Baptisia australis, known as blue wild indigo or blue false indigo, which I think is interesting. Um, it's a uh, the, the flowers that they buy to show that they support the purge, support the purge. they're going to engage in it. So it is uh, used by uh, what I found was, so the Cherokees would use it as a source of blue dye if they, uh, if they couldn't get a hold of indigo. And it's uh, the roots of it are used in teas as a purgative, which I thought was mm-hmm. kind of, so it has a direct uh, association. And uh, the Osage would make an eyewash of it, which I thought was also kind of um, an interesting analysis. So the thing so they're using these flowers, which symbolize purging to some extent. Uh, but also the seeds are known to be toxic, which I also thought was interesting. So it's mm, like interesting overall, this plant, which is known as being a false, you know, the false indigo plant, it's a purgative and its seeds are toxic. I thought was kind of a nice little, it's not an accident. You know, they didn't just pick yeah. some blue flower to be like, you know, it's, I, I think it's very specific. And I thought that was a cool, little trivia bit I found in, um, in, uh, uh, researching some of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can I tell you my most, uh, this, the, like the most disturbing part of the whole film for me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, handsome strangers, little speech to the family. <laughs> that was the most terrifying part where he's like, you know, smiling, blonde, preppy dude, is like you know, calling him what is it the 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 filthy swine, <laughs> like just like what he called him, like completely dehumanized him, but like you know very happy about it, and then just like the way that the intimidation he was able to intimidate them, like in you know it's like I see that you're I see with your flowers that you support us, but you know. Like we will purge and we will use him to purge. And it was just like, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, And they're functioning sort of as like, you know, this idea, like false patriots, you know, in a way like, yes. That, mm-hmm. Like, is this really, you know, they are fully indulging in this violence and in this, um, you know, act. And it's like, is this really, you know, but they're just reveling it. They're having fun. They're, he's a fucking psychopath, you know. Very Manson, like, yeah. very Manson-y with, like, you know, the the women in the in the flowy gowns and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah, no, it is. It's super creepy when they show up. And they're, so they're the people who were hunting, you know, the stranger, Edwin Hodges' uh, character. And the son lets him in to give him safe harbor. And they, they want their purge. They want him to come back. Um, so I thought... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting, uh, it, it's a nice plot device. So you're not 
because when you first watch it, you kind of think like he gets in and then that's going to be the, the, um, the conflict, you know, with like, are, is he going to kill them? Are they going to kill him? Like, you know, the tension Mm -hmm. there, obviously the daughter's boyfriend shows up and shoots the father or shoots at the father. That's the whole, you know, a whole, uh, uh, conflict. Um, and then they show up and add this whole, like a whole other level of conversation of their, they're showing up. They're the good Patriots. They're the good people mm-hmm. that are just exercising their rights, you know, that are just exercising their right to, to uh, murder or rape or steal or what all the different crimes that are covered by uh, this, this 12 hour period. Yeah. So, which kind of leads us to the last, uh, point that I wanted to talk about, which is um, the psychology of the purge and whether or not such a thing, if, if the, if the foundational conceit of the purge Mm -hmm. is something supported by psychologists. And so, um, and what I found was it kind of depends. <laughs> so <laughs> I was looking at um, a look at the psychology behind the movie The Purge. This is by Dr. Carolyn Kaufman, writing for Psychology Today. Again, kind of have to be, you know, grain of salt. Psychology Today is very entertaining, obviously. So even writing something like this, um, you know, it's just kind of should, you know, take it with a, you know, not exactly a grain of salt. But, you know, she is a doctor talking about... Um, The Purge suggests that aggressively venting our rage is a kind of solution. Um, And so I I really liked how she, and this will be in our notes so you can read this yourself because it is very interesting. Um, When we, uh, hold on one second. Let me find what it is. Basically her main point is that people... Mm -hmm. When allowed to be violent, it only makes us more violent. That um, aggressively carrying out this sort of violence would likely make us more violent and might likely mm-hmm. make us more, you know, because that's that's one of the questions, kind of like in Gremlins, when is midnight over? Why should a person stop at the 12 hours? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know that the risk of public execution, but you're carrying that around. It Like, if we're, you know a family and somebody comes in and murders one of us that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a, you know, somebody that you're going to see out in the world. How do you live with that for a full year plotting and planning? And then you're just simmering with rage and with this violence all year, you know? So if it seems like this should not, it wouldn't work psychologically, at least with um, Americans or, you know, with um, Western society. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of the main kind of point. If um, rage begets rage, both in ourselves and in others, um, it's it might sound funny to say this, but I think that f- uh, f- uh, a film like 28 Days Later, in which zombies are violent because they're infected with a rage virus, has a more realistic understanding of all of this than The Purge's uh, reduced social problems. Um you know, researchers have found that sometimes retaliation against the person who upset us can help calm us down, but only under certain circumstances. If they direct their counterattack toward the provoker, if their retaliation seems justifiable, and if their target is not intimidating. 
So hmm. angry people aren't usually angry about one single problem or person, you know. So the general thing, you know, when we're going about in our lives, traffic is upsetting. You know, we take that in. We're angry for those moments. We have a, you know, a, an issue with a uh, a coworker. You know, it's not really the coworker's fault. We're kind of, we're in a bureaucracy. There are problems that happen, so we're angry about that. Our, you know, our partners upset us. Our family members upset us. Our kids upset us. You know, there's lots of different things that feed into anger that don't have a specific, um, you know, attack. So if it can't be blamed on one person, um, then somebody like that person's not available to attack. There isn't <laughs> one thing to attack. So when we have no specific, uh, to rage against attempts to achieve catharsis can actually make us feel more helpless, which just fans the flames. Um, Psychologist Roy Baumeister argues that most evil acts of cruelty and violence are actually due to an escalating competition over who did the other person most wrong. So if you do something that uh, I don't like and I attack you and then you go, well, fuck you and you attack me and I go, well, fuck you and I attack you back, then we just sort of escalate and that there's not a uh, catharsis there. Mm -hmm. There's not a place to, um, to end that. Um, I also found this interesting there, uh, you know, the idea of a type A personality, um, which uh, this says that uh, most people don't realize that that moniker was originally coined to describe coronary patients. So type A personalities uh, are more likely to develop coronary heart disease. Um, So because they are, that's interesting (laughs) because they are likely to be competitive impatient, interpersonally hostile and angry. They've established this causal link. I think that's a little dangerous again. That's why, you know, to say causal, but a correlation Mm -hmm. that people who live the type a life are more likely to develop coronary heart disease. Um, So angry people are stressed out people and chronic stress is associated with a bunch of other problems. So, None of this is to say that anger does not serve a worthwhile purpose if it alerts us that someone is mistreating us or that we have issues that need to be dealt with. Um, but beating the stuffing out of a punching bag, let alone another human being, is likely to make us more aggressive, not less. That's kind of her overall point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, she goes on to just talk a little bit about, you know, um, just solutions instead, but we're not interested in that. Right. (laughs) You know, what could we do instead of the purge? Well, that's no fun. Um, yeah. Therapy. Uh, so as a counter to that, um, wealth distribution, (laughs) right. Um, exactly. Like real, real actual solutions to, you know, uh, you know, people that have to live in such dire consequence or dire straits, you know, dire circumstances is to give them the resources not to have to live that way. And then maybe society would start to improve, but you know, don't be silly, Joe, that's socialism. Uh, (laughs) So there's this interesting, so I found this paper uh, that analyzes uh, this, um, it's called Fighting on Christmas. Brawling is self-governance in rural, rural, I always have a trouble with that word, rural, Peru. Uh, have you heard of this? Takanakwe? Um, um, I have not. Um, I, there, I mean, I have not, but I do have some, there is something not necessarily similar, but like the Saturday before Easter Sunday, 
um, there is like a in in the Chamorro culture, there's like a belief that like um, it's uh, it's called Glory Saturday or Sablon Gloria, and basically you like spank children for their sins <laughs> before the resurrection. Ah, um, all the sins they committed. Um, Do you know how far back that tradition goes? No, but it was always something that. Um, it was always something that was brought up on Glory on, on Glory Saturday by my parents, and apparently it happened to them. But I don't know how. I don't know how far that back that goes, and if it can be traced to um, if it was a gift from the colonizers, <laughs> or if it's something that we kind of came up with. But that'd be well, interesting. I, yeah, I wonder because I think that that kind of feeds into what this paper is kind of talking about. So um, there's this public brawling ritual, uh, Takanakwe. Um, in, I mean, I'm just butchering all of this, I'm sure, uh, Chumba Vilcas province of southern Peru. So, and the idea is they have this ritual, which again, it's so funny, it happens around the holidays, when, Mm -hmm. you know, around Christmas, uh, on, you know, in our calendar and on our idea of, you know, this time of year, um, you know, where people get together to resolve their conflicts and create a peaceful society by having it out, by brawling, Mm -hmm. by punching each other, by... Uh, having a violent episode once a year with the people who have wronged you. Mm -hmm. And so this paper, they actually tried to do an institutional analysis of it and come to a conclusion of whether ritualized violence provides an effective mechanism to solve conflicts. Uh, The result is, uh, you know, an efficient, unique method to resolve disputes in rural communities without access to or trust in formal conflict resolution methods and a, and a device uh, like at a, a judicial level or um, some more um, uh, disputes that a justice system would not deal with, you know, hmm, just okay, okay. petty things or, um, you know, just the things that, you know, maybe throughout the year we get, I'm sick of your fucking face, you know, like, <laughs> I can't get justice for that. So I'm going to punch it and then we're going to hug, we're going to shake hands, we're going to move on. And that's sort of the idea. So what they found was that their study, um, they think that it is, it is, it is an effective mechanism for these this particular group of people. And that it is an organized environment with public sanction and strict rules to avoid excessive physical harm. So we're not talking about, you know, super violence, not murder, um, mm-hmm. but just a mean to uh, resolve conflict that a corruptible formal judicial government would not, you know, find satisfactory to see. Um and it says here that there's been attempts to change this, to take away, and they, and they, they refuse, you know, that this, this is even mm-hmm. pushed away because it is, it's an effective mechanism to, for their, to resolve conflict. Yeah. And that they, you know, once they go through this, um, you know, everybody kind of, like, they do seem to live in a relative peaceful existence with each other. And that this, it, because of its, it's a it's a traditional thing that's been around for a very very long time, and so the people in this organization, you know, this village, this place, believe in it. Um, they follow the rules. They have respect for its history, and so it works for them. And so, I think in applying that to the idea of the purge, like that's not something that you we could just have happen on, yeah, you know, a wide scale 
you know, th- th- I don't think it would function the way I, I agree with the psychologist who in, in a society where we already are extremely dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Um, I do believe that, that this is that, that the purge would make us worse, not better. Um, mm-hmm. Even, even, uh, even if it was a, 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 um, a, not as an extreme, even if it was literally like, you know, you I could slap like your neighbor with an open hand. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah. That in the end, that would fester more problems than, than cure them. But for this oh, yeah. group, because they have had this for centuries, mm-hmm. I'm assuming it does seem, you know, again, there isn't admittedly not great research. This, this is a pretty well-researched paper. They also recognize that we are limited, that we only have, you know, this, you know, evidence that we studied. And, um, you know, but that, that it's, that it's a, a, um, a, a historical thing for these these, this group of people uh, that they have respect for, and that's why it works, and that they really can set aside their differences and kind of move on. Um, and in order, and we can't, you know, figure out how to, you know, pay for a road without <laughs> wanting to kill each other, you know. So it might be that we're already too far gone for something like the purge to actually work. Yeah. Um, and well, so- I mean, it sounds it, it sounds a little similar to. Um, the um, like dueling among nobility, mm-hmm. the dueling practices right. among nobility, where it's like it is on the fringe, but it's a way for people to reestablish quote unquote honor in an in a structured way. Right. Um. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. In- so I. Yeah, I just thought that I I was looking for things um, to talk about. Yeah, whether or not like could the purge work? And I was thinking about some other stuff like um, the Matrix series. Mm-hmm. So the, the the computer system or the, you know the, the the machines tried to give us utopia is the conceit in the film that it tried to make our lives perfect and we could not function. Um, within their their fictional environment and that was something like you know jeffrey and i were talking about first it's like can we can humans really exist in a state of pure happiness without some sort of violence like is that even possible you know can is that something we can can accept you know are we by nature I mean, this is just, you know, again, this is a rhetorical kind of question that, you know, the purge mm-hmm. sort of brings up in, in, in the way that, like, the conceit of the film is we have made the world wonderful and perfect, well, the United States, uh, because once a year we let y'all have it out and murder each other and do whatever you want. And we don't care because we're protected. The new founding fathers are protected. You can't purge us. So do whatever you want. Um and that has led to this. So it, it does beg the question again in this film, like life is utopia, but this is not utopia, you know, yeah. especially if you're not wealthy, if you're not, if you don't have access to the, 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 this kind of security system, uh, which again, isn't impenetrable. Obviously they, they do um, break into it with a, um, it's not a tank. It's some kind of truck. They rip the, the they rip the, the doors and the windows off, but it's reasonable enough that they, he's also run. able to cut the uh, electricity. Yes. Um, you know, so obviously there's like workarounds and that's what makes it a horror film and bring, you know, I mean, if that was impossible, then, you know, yeah. you don't have a conflict, uh, which you be like yelling at each other for 12 hours, <laughs> which like, you know, uh, Mary is telling him like, but we're safe. Right. And he's like, well, I mean, you know, not everything can be kept out. And it's like, dude, you 
our livelihood, <laughs> your entire business is on the idea of security. Like he wasn't selling security so much as a deterrent. Like it was just, you know, I see the, I see the steel uh, things come down, which means like, you know, okay, probably we're, we're not going to be able to get in, but you know, right. Yeah. The illusion of security, the illusion of security. Yeah. 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 Which we have a lot in society, you know, I mean, there are lots of kind of rules we're all abiding by out of Mm -hmm. um, either a sense of, of, of respect for our fellow man or a sense of fear. Uh, yeah. of you know of, of, of um retaliation you know or imprisonment or whatever keeps people from committing violent um murder all the time <laughs> and like you you bring up an interesting point about like just like the idea that like you know you can have it out but then like it's the resentment afterwards like once you've done it if both people survive and so like that's what i was thinking about at the end of the film which again spoiler alert it's just (laughs) but you know the end of the film you realize that like the neighbors were ready it you know the neighbors saved them but it's a false thing they're actually gonna purge them um, because of the resentment of like, you made all this money off of us. I just don't want to see you, um, anymore. And so, uh, and then like, you know, it's like, okay, we're, she's just like, we're not going to kill anybody. We're just going to ride the night out. And then it's like, okay, well now those neighbors are going to have to like, you're going to have to live next to them for the, or presumably live next to them if you're not going to move, but like, you know, live next to them for the next 364 days. <laughs> until the next purge when they're going to try again to get you. Right. And that is the, that is the, um, you know, again, the problem, like I said, like the gremlins conundrum of like, what is after midnight? Like, don't feed them after midnight. Like that doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. What do you do with that? You know, except mm-hmm. plot and plan for a year and, and be angry and hateful. And, you know, I'm not talking to her cause I'm going to murder her on the next purge, you know? Um, you have yeah. to live in constant fear then, you know? And so that's why, yeah, the kind of the ideal, ideal uh, ideology behind it doesn't really work. And they're going to make an, uh, another sequel is coming out soon called the forever purge, which deals with exactly that. Like what happens when a group goes, fuck the 12 hours. Why? doesn't make sense. You know, we should purge all year yeah. round, you know, and be free of this, these social constraints. Um, I imagine, I mean, there's been a very little revealed about it, but I think that that is the, the possibility of what they could explore. Um, and that is one of the kind of my fundamental questions about, you know, I'm not saying the purge again, like I said, we're not trying to review and say whether it's a great film or not, but I think it brings up a lot of interesting questions about the psychology of violence, uh, social psychology, you know, how do we, how do we manage to operate as bad as things are and as horrifying as things are, a lot of us are able to operate fairly normally. Um, you know, mm-hmm. at least get up and go to work every day knowing that, you know, there's a, a ton of things perpetrated by our tax dollars or, you know, um, you know, the horrors that happen every day to keep life where it is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this, uh, balloon we're all sitting on waiting to pop. <laughs> Um, I think it brings up a lot of interesting and, and overall the whole series. I, I, I'm looking forward to kind of continuing this discussion next week and in the following week, um, because I think there is a lot being said and a lot that is extremely um, relevant to now. So yeah. I think that's a good place to stop, at least with this conversation. Like I said, this is going to kind of stretch over the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, 
I, I hope you enjoyed the film to some extent. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I'm already getting ready for the future because I've um, I have all the movies queued up. Um, awesome. I'll I probably will get them all done in the next couple of days. Um, yeah. So it'll be nice. I do to, like to kind of just watch them all when they're on. I just tend to yeah per uh, binge them. <laughs> you binge the purge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, binging. Uh, there's something there. There's a title there for the episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm glad. I think I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. And yeah, this is something we've never really done was do a kind of a full series uh, examination. We've obviously done sequels and things like that, but uh, I think it accidentally became extremely topical to look at this. Yes. So. Um, more so than it was topical already. I mean, they were topical. Yeah, it was already pretty topical, but now it's like definitely more so topical now. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that is, yes, part one of our purge analysis. So thank you for listening. As always, dear, dear listener, share us with your friends. Uh, <laughs> like us on Instagram. I'm going to try to, um, you know, one of the other gifts I got, Jeffrey, I don't know if you watched The Mandalorian, but we got one of the child. Um, so so, so James and I, um, you know, one of the ways that we keep connected in this age of distancing is we watch a show together. Yeah. Um, and so our next show, we said that the next show that we're going to start is The Mandalorian. Oh, cool. Well, I can't wait to hear what you, what you uh, think about it. But uh, yeah, I got... My little Sam Squanch, a statue. It's like a full-scale replica. It's of the child? Cute. Yes, it's super cute. Um, and weird. Super weird. Is it, is it in his office? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of stares at you from the hallway. Oh, um, God. <laughs> yeah. <But it's> <laughs> Looks like it could be related to the, the gremlins, your little gremlins. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, the cats totally ignored it. They're like, what the fuck is that? Oh, it's not living, whatever. And they just kind of wandered. <laughs> it's not paying its attention. No, exactly. It wouldn't pet them. Uh, but yeah, so again, thank you, as always, for listening. Like, rate, subscribe, all of those things. Joe, um, until next time. Until next time. Sleep well. Good purge. <laughs> <laughs>